Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. And as my old high school geography teacher would say, Miss Nettles, uh, it's time to take out your passports. We're going to Cyprus. Cyprus. And if only that were true, that would be great. Cyprus is a very nice vacation destination being situated in the uh, northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. So very nice climate and very beautiful area. And this was the first destination of Barnabas and Saul, also called Paul, and John Mark as they set out on the very first missionary, overseas missionary trip. Christianity had come to Cyprus some years before. Uh, we read about in back in chapter 11, verse 20, that it was men from Cyprus and Cyrene who first took the gospel to the Gentiles who were living in Antioch. And of course, church sprung up there in Antioch, and that's where Paul and Barnabas are departing from. And uh, Barnabas, Paul, John, Mark are, are going to leave Antioch, and they're going to go about 16 miles to the coast to a port called Seleucia. And from there, they're going to sail about 130 miles southwest down to Cyprus, to the east side, to uh, Salamis, and they're going to preach there and then work their way across this island, the third largest island in the Mediterranean, about 90 miles to the western side of, of, the, of the island of Cyprus to a town called Paphos, which is where uh, the government resided. Now, they were certainly preaching along the way, but we were only given this one event that's recorded for us in the text that happened in the city of Paphos. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He, <clears throat> he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and, and, and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and my voice. Well, Luke's writing this two-volume set, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, he wants, as he tells us in the first chapter of Luke, to give the reader certainty concerning the things about Jesus, things that he did, things that he taught. And when we come to the book of Acts, he continues on and says he wants to uh, continue to, to tell us what Jesus continued to do and teach even after he ascended to heaven. He was no longer bodily present, but he continued to, to do great things. He continued to teach using his apostles and disciples as they went about sharing the good news, witnessing to Christ, telling people about what Jesus had done in time and space. 
And what we are going to draw from this passage this morning is that Jesus continues to build His church through the proclamation of the Word in the power of the Holy Spirit despite continuing opposition, which we see in the person of Elamus Bar-Jesus. Now there are three things I want to point out this morning. Uh, First, we see there's a desire for the Word here. Uh, especially in the person of Sergius Paulus. But then there's also opposition to the word, and we see that in the person of Elamus, or Bar-Jesus, as he is styled. And then, finally, we will see that there's astonishment at the word, and we again return to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. But desire for the word. Cyprus was under the control of the Romans, and specifically, it was under control of the Roman Senate. And when something was under the control of the Roman Senate, it was governed on the ground by a government official called a proconsul. And in, in, the, in the island of Cyprus, this proconsul was named Sergius Paulus. And he is described as an intelligent man. I wish uh, I was described as an intelligent man regularly. But Sergius Paulus was a person uh, who was something of uh, an intellectual. He was a man of learning. He desired to grow in his understanding of things. And in this instance that's recorded for us here in the book of Acts, he had a desire to learn more about Christianity. Now, Sergius Paulus had probably, uh, had possibly encountered Christians and he'd probably heard something about Christianity. Maybe he uh, was intrigued by what he saw from the Christian's life and witness. That's a bit of speculation on our part, but what we do know is that he has a deep curiosity in his mind and a yearning in his heart to learn more about it. So he summons these preachers who are going around talking about Jesus, these guys from Antioch, Barnabas and Saul, and he wants them to come and tell him about the Word of God. And so they do so. Now this is undoubtedly the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work of illumination going on in the heart of Sergius Paulus. In John 16, 13, uh, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Before we started, uh, before I, uh, as I prayed, I prayed for illumination. Uh, you know, when we illuminate a room, we turn the lights on and we can see everything. Well, the Holy Spirit does that in the lives of people. He turns the lights on. He illuminates so that you can understand, so that you can grasp the truth. It's, it's imperative. And without it, You can't get the truth. You must have the Holy Spirit's illuminating power at work in your life. Paul explained it further in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. He writes, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's having to say this because there were lots of different people going around giving uh, philosophical orations 
And some of these people were very tricky in the way that they did it. But Paul's saying, we're not uh, trying to trick you. We're not using any uh, special ways. We're just telling you the truth. We're just putting it out there. And then he goes on and says, and even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, there are some people who are rejecting the gospel. There are some people who don't want to hear it and who don't like it. And so the Corinthians were saying, well, maybe it's, it's, uh, there's something wrong with the gospel that people, aren't, that people would uh, not get it or not hear it. But he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sakes. For Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's saying we have to experience this inner light, this understanding that's given by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit unveils the heart, opens it up, shines in the light to see, so that a person can see the gospel. This is beginning to happen, apparently, to Sergius Paulus. He's got a curiosity about things. He's, he's heard a little something about the gospel. He wants to know more. And so he's pursuing Barnabas and Paul and asks them to come tell him about it. The lights are beginning to come on for him. He sees something that he's never seen before and it's captured his attention and he longs to know more about it. So he began to seek it out. And he calls on the right people, Barnabas and Paul. And it's no mistake that they're there traveling through, because it's a divine appointment. God's at work, and he's sending his servants there to Cyprus to take the good news to this Roman proconsul. Do you have a desire for God's word? Has it captured your attention? Are you curious to, to learn more about the glorious truths of the Bible? If the answer to that is yes, then give thanks. God is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit is drawing you in and, and, and giving you that desire. If not, then pray that God would give you that desire. A good prayer is one that is in line with God's will. You know, often we, we pray a long, laundry list of our desires. God, give me this. God, give me that. We know He's powerful. We know He can. And so we cry out asking Him for what we want. But a better prayer, and a prayer that we are sure to have answered, is to pray, God, give me what you want. God, give me what you want me to have. God, our loving Heavenly Father, wants children who listen to Him and obey Him. I mean, if you're a parent, you can identify with that. You want your children to listen to you and obey you. And, and usually it's not for selfish reasons, though sometimes it might be. But usually it's because you have their best interests at heart. You don't want them to make the same mistakes that you may have made. 
You want them to avoid uh, the errors that, that you've seen other people make that maybe they don't have the experience to, to understand that there, there's danger there. So you want children to listen to and obey. Now, God is a perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And He's given us His instruction, not because of some negative reason, but because He desires for us uh, everything that is good. He wants us to flourish because He loves us. He's our Heavenly Father. So pray that the Lord would give you a desire for His Word, especially if you don't have it. And He's sure to answer that because it's, the best, because it's in your best interests, and that's what God wants. His Word is truth. Pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you into the truth. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting the spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate, give you understanding for you to grasp these things. So pray for that. Well, there's, there's a sense in which I'm making this sound easier uh, because there's always opposition to the Word. We must be vigilant and on the watch. Because we see here Sergius Paulus. He has a desire to hear more about this thing called Christianity. And wouldn't it have been nice for Sergius Paulus to simply call on Paul and Barnabas and uh, for them to show up and proclaim the word to him? And he says, oh yeah, I got it. And, uh, and, and he believes. But that's not what happens here. It's not the way it is. There's a, another person there, this Jewish false prophet named Elamus or Bar-Jesus. He was a so-called wise man. Uh, he claimed to be able to give sage advice and probably claimed to be able to predict the future. And if you are the governor of, uh, of, of a large island, that might come in handy to know the future and to have someone to advise you in that way. And he had gained this position with the proconsul, and certainly he wanted to maintain it. I'm sure it was a lucrative position. At least it was a dignified position. And he rightfully saw Barnabas and Saul and the good news about Jesus as threats to that position. And therefore he opposed Barnabas and Saul and sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But look at Paul's reaction, verse 9 and 10. Paul reacts very, very strongly to the opposition of Elamus. And it is an example to us. Paul is a great example to us of the urgency uh, that, uh, of, of getting the gospel to people. You know, he sees that this man is bringing a roadblock to the gospel to a man who is hungry to hear it. And he spares that man no expense who stands between Sergius Paulus in the gospel, he lays into him and actually strikes him blind. He calls him the son of, a son of the devil, which is not a compliment. It's a play on his name. His name is Bar-Jesus. Bar means son, like Barnabas. Barnabas is a nickname that means son of encouragement. 
so uh, Elamus's name is Bar Jesus. Jesus is a common name. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, and it means salvation. So Elamus, maybe this was like his stage name, Elamus, the son of salvation. And Paul turns to him and says, you're not a son of the salvation. You're, in fact, you're a son of the devil. You're evil. You're wicked. Uh, you are uh, opposed to righteousness. I mean, he goes on with several things. Full of all deceit. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You remember John the Baptist. And the prophecy concerning John the Baptist was from Isaiah 40. And, and pretty much all the Gospels talk about John the Baptist, and they quote this. When John the Baptist started his ministry, uh, he was fulfilling the prophet uh, Isaiah, where it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John the Baptist was preaching, and preaching repentance, and, and getting people prepared for the Messiah. He was making the road straight so people could be ready for when Jesus appeared on the scene. Elamus is doing the exact opposite, Paul says. You're making the, the straight way of the Lord crooked. You're keeping people out of the kingdom. You're making it more difficult to receive the Lord. That's exactly what he was doing. And it's a great lesson to us. You know, when the Spirit starts to work in us, surely Satan will come along and try to, to rob that from us. There are evil roadblocks that will be thrown in the way of our pursuit of Christ. And these evil roadblocks have self-serving and evil motivations. And of course, the devil always comes to us as an angel of light, and it always looks good. But instead of making things straight, these arguments, these philosophies, these positions, these people, they want to make these, these straight paths crooked. These evil roadblocks style themselves son of salvation, but they are sons of the devil. They desire to deceive. And you will know them by their fruits because they are, as Elamus was, an enemy of righteousness. Their beliefs and their practices do not tend towards holiness, righteousness, uh, but to unrighteousness and wickedness, licentiousness. You know, Jesus Christ saves people, and the goal of that salvation is to make us holy. Uh, we will one day not have any sin, but he is, he is preparing himself a bride. Ephesians 5 refers to this in, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he's washing and cleansing her and, and making her holy and spotless. And anything, any philosophy, any teaching that would lead you away from holiness and righteousness is surely uh, not Christianity. It is, it is not godly. It, there's something wrong with that. Well, Elamus was a roadblock, and, and he is struck by temporary blindness. And it's interesting that, that this uh, blindness is, is very much like what happened to Paul. When Paul was trying to kill all the Christians, he was struck blind temporarily. And then the, the scales fell off his eyes. When, uh, when he encountered the disciple and he, and he heard the gospel and it, his life was changed. It's a picture of illumination. Paul is someone who has 
had the scales removed from his eyes. He can now see. And so he's telling uh, Sergius Paulus the truth. But look at look Sergius Paulus at Elamus. He is a blind guide. He can't tell you where to go. He's lost, and he needs someone to lead him around by the hand. And that's so true of the philosophies of the world, of the teachings of the world. They're blind guides, and they will uh, let you end up in the ditch. Paul, in God's word, is a good guide for Sergius Paulus because he points to Christ. He's not self-serving. He's Christ-serving. He's pointing him to the good news. Jesus mentioned in the parable of the soils uh, that we looked at for a few minutes in Sunday school this morning. Uh, but there were uh, a sower went out to sow, a farmer went out to sow, and he spread this, broadcast the seed around, and some fell on the road, hard ground that had been packed, and the, the seed could not get into the ground, and so the birds came and snatched the seed away. Elamus was one of those birds. He was trying to get in there and snatch the word of God away from uh, Sergius Paulus, but he's unsuccessful. Uh, somebody came and shooed the bird away, namely Paul. And then there's, in that parable, there's also rocky soil. And uh, the seed lands there and sprouts for a little bit, but as soon as the heat comes, because there's not a deep root, it burns the plant up. And this is a picture of those who might receive the word with joy when they first hear it, but the opposition of the gospel, the persecution that comes with it, the suffering that is called, called uh, the self-denying nature of it, uh, these things make the person say, That's, I can't do that, and they fall away. And then there's the, the soil that is cast among the thorns and the weeds. It springs up, the person receives it with joy, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things uh, come in and choke the word out. Those three soils don't have a good end. Only the one that produces a good crop has a good end. But what we can draw from this is that we need to be aware of the birds, the birds in our lives that will snatch the Word of God from us. We also need to be aware uh, of the fact that there is, there is opposition and not be surprised or discouraged by that. There will be persecution for the ones who, one who follows Christ. We follow a crucified Lord, and we deny ourselves. We follow Him. We take up our cross and follow Him. It, it's, we die to self. That's part of the deal. That's what happens when you become a Christian. So when opposition comes, don't be surprised at that. But press on. Keep your hand to the plow. And then we have to be aware also that we will be tempted by the cares of the world. We will be tempted by the deceitfulness of riches. We live in a very materialistic culture, and it's often calling us to have divided loyalties. We would rather find our joy, our peace, our security with our bank accounts than with the Lord, for example. There are other desires that are constantly bombarding us, things that we want, things that we feel we deserve, and God says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me, and you'll have something better and something that is abiding. That's the words he uses in Hebrews 10 when he talks to the disciples there. The, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, you're about to give up. 
because the, the people he's writing to were about to quit this Christianity thing. It was just too hard. But he says, remember all those who went before you and remember that you have something better that's, than the world can offer and you have something lasting that will be there long after this world is no more. Remember that. So there's opposition that we face. We need to grasp the word. Let it sink down into our souls and produce a great crop and bring honor and glory to the Lord. Apparently, Sergius Paulus did that because it tells us in verse 12 that he believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished, amazed. He was so amazed that it, he was practically overwhelmed. That's the literal uh, definition of that word that's there he was he was blown away by what by the fact that Sergius was uh, that Paul caused this guy to become blind no what does it say he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord now I'm sure that he was astonished at Elam as being struck blind but that was just part of the teaching that Paul was giving them that Christ is powerful and that uh, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This guy's a blind guide. Listen to the word. And he was excited about it, amazed at it, blown away by this good news of Jesus, because that's certainly what Paul and Barnabas was proclaiming to him. What is the good news of Jesus? That God became flesh. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all righteousness. And then he bore our curse on the cross because of our sin. He, he became sin for us on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then he rose from the grave after the third day, triumphantly. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He, is, uh, he holds the keys to death and Hades. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. That's good news. And Sergius was blown away by that. And he believed. He put his faith in the Lord. And there was no opposition that could keep him from the kingdom of God. So he could say along with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that today? That you know that God loves you and gave himself for you. And do you, or you have that joy of salvation. If not, turn to his word. Turn to the truth. Embrace it. Learn it. Love it. Uh, give, give yourself to it. Let's pray together.